another episode of Content Confessions. As always, you got two crackers. No, I'm just kidding. You have us two, Chris <laughs> Chains 815, aka Stone Samurai, joined by Steve, aka Stu. Stu, how's it going? Hey, Hirsch, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I'm doing good. Um, you know, just another day living in our cracker kingdom with our with our honky tonk badonkadonk, if you will. Um, first, just want to say uh, to everybody that is um, in the states affected by the recent storms that had uh, come through, our thoughts are with you. Hopefully, um, people will be able to receive the help that they need, both on a state and federal level, as well as a spiritual one. <clears throat> Also, I just want to say quickly to anybody who's back home, I know recently there was uh, some pretty strong winds and some pretty strong storms. So hopefully everybody uh, back in the A15 was doing well. Yeah, we had some weird stuff, man, where it was like almost 70 degrees the other day. And then it was dropping so cold overnight combined with the wind that it got pretty like I could hear shit swirling everywhere. Yeah, freak. Mom had sent me a message and... uh, it was a screenshot of the weather and it was like 68, 69 degrees. And I was like, what the fuck? It's warmer. <laughs> it's warmer back in Rockford than it is here. It's cool. the whole purpose of moving. Yeah. Might as well just stay, stay in Rockford now. Fuck it, dude. Psych. I'm just kidding. I never, never want to no. go back. Yeah. Especially after getting this. Um, so today's episode, we're going to be talking about a few separate things. We're going to be talking about the NBA I'm also going to be talking about some college football news that recently has come into the headlines and also briefly mention um, contamination that's happening over in the paradise, paradise state known as Hawaii and kind of talk about how there is a history of the United States, specifically its military, of contaminating water sources and food sources for different uh, states, nations throughout the world. But with that being said, I'll pass it over to my brother in case there's anything he wanted to say in this introduction or if he just wanted to get right into it. Well, no, we did want to bring up for sure that next week is going to be our um, special Christmas holiday episode, whatever you happen to enjoy or partake during this time of year. <clears throat> where Hirsch, you had brought up something to me where people might be able to send in audio clips. Is that correct? Yeah, everybody will have chance for a one-minute audio session to uh, get played on the episode or to be featured on our uh, customer, our <laughs> customer, or a listener uh, uh, episode. Yeah, what we're hoping to get from people is, you know, just send in quick stuff about, you know, what this time of year represents for you. Um, maybe something you associate with it could be a favorite movie, TV show that kind of deals with this this time of year or just anything in general that you want to talk about, even if it's been about past episodes or maybe a direction that you'd like to see going forward or welcome to whatever. Yeah. And I just want to say that was a very Freudian uh, league. I said with customer, it's almost like subliminal advertising. I want you guys yeah. to buy. Something. Yeah. Hershey kind of blew it right there. Yeah. Blew it. Oh, well fucking ruined dude. Yeah, now then that's yeah, uh, oh. it, they know that our whole half of a year, if not almost a year spent on Latin America was really just about bringing in the money. Yeah, dude, it's the cracker in me. What can I say? Um, <laughs> we're, we're exploitative imperialists, dude. We can't fucking help it. Yeah, dude, we've totally been compromised. Man, you know, so I just want to say, like, I don't know 
if it's just me being like super lonely and like lack of smoking weed. But earlier today, I was in the middle of streaming and the fire alarm went off here at the apartment and it was loud as shit, right? And so like I was in the middle of streaming, I'm like, all right, guys, I got like I gotta go. Like I'm shutting off my shit, I'm checking the apartment, and I'm getting the fuck out. So I checked the apartment, everything's good. It turns off. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go outside. And then this guy that's been working on uh, landscaping stuff on the outside comes walking up to me and starts asking me, like, all these, like, different questions and shit. And, of course, naturally, me being the honky I am, I had to plug the podcast. So if you're listening to this guy who was working at the uh, Barefoot Resort, um, hi. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you. Good to see you. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> yeah, what's up, bro? Hoping um, to get all weird on you. Yeah, well, it was it was really strange. Like, I, at first, I was like, "Yo, why is this guy coming up to me?" Like, is there? But the more the more I've been thinking about it, and the reason I said I don't know if it's just like me being lonely, paranoid, and like you know, lack of weed. It's like, dude, I feel like the FBI is after me, and they're just like trying to catch my profile and like trying to get DNA and train. Like, I'm totally getting my fucking Dale Gribble, if that makes any sense. <laughs> they're they're pushing you. Dude, fucking, I got to start keeping pocket sand in a falcon. Like, that's the only way. Pocket sand. <laughs> but Steve, I know you said you wanted to start off. You wanted to talk about uh, what's currently happening in the NBA and the lack of attention being paid to it until the month of December. Yeah, January. it's just, it's one of those tropes, and I, I find myself guilty of it as well. Like, I haven't actually had chance to to sit down and watch a proper game this year. I, I mainly pay attention to highlights and headlines and news stories that I see here and there. But I also just kind of try to keep, you know, a general pulse on what's going on. But Christmas time is always when people talk about the true NBA season starting. So I figured we could take this as kind of an opportunity. We did our early, like, uh, preseason preview. And I wanted to just kind of touch base again do a little, little bit of a reset and see where things are right now, what storylines are sticking out, maybe uh, which teams or players we're, we're keeping an eye on or, or uh, which things have surprised us or remain the same. Oh, I don't watch NBA, brother. I only watch Americans on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, it's funny because that kind of mentality actually will dovetail with what we can talk about going into the next segment. Um, but yeah, it's, the season got off to a very weird start for a couple of teams. Like we had talked a lot, Hirsch, in that first episode about, I didn't really trust what the Chicago Bulls were putting together. I didn't quite believe in, uh, what they were doing. I I mean, they had some good guys, you know, DeRozan, um, bringing in ball, that kind of thing. But I was kind of skeptical and it's, up until recently, it had been a – it's still, if you look at the standings, they're, they're third in the East. It's not like they're a bad team, 17-10 and 10 right now. But they've had, like, a really bad COVID situation, like, outbreak. And like you had mentioned uh, when we talked before the show, they've had a little bit of a tampering charge maybe brought up recently. Yeah, a little, about, little, little icky-wicky. Yeah, but all in all, it's been – they've probably been mm-hmm. one of the better surprises. I would say the Wizards have been one of those other um, – Good surprises, too, up until relatively recently where they've lost like seven out of their last ten. But for a while, the Wizards were playing really well. 
bit of a slope, uh, shooting slump, but it for for a minute there, and, and you're right, it definitely felt like the parting ways with John Wall wasn't going to hurt them uh, as much as I had suspected it to. Well, and they've been missing one of their former lottery picks uh, from just a couple of years ago. Um, I'm blanking on the dude's name. He's a part Japanese player, I believe. Uh, ugh, why am I blanking on his name? But, yeah, I'll come back to that. But, yeah, they've been missing him because he's been out for the entire year. They've had a lot of um, injury issues, just like everybody else right now. But they were playing some really good basketball at the beginning of the year. Um, oh, man. Were, I know. Sorry, yeah. I just like I remember who you're talking about, but it's on the tip of my tongue too. It's gonna his, come. I, I believe his first name is like Ryu or something. I I could be stereotyping, and I don't even want to guess. Yeah, yeah, dude, you're about uh, to get fucking canceled, dude. You better watch it. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I, I uh, yeah, I'm not even gonna guess. But yeah, they've been missing a couple key players. I know he's not like the guy on their team, but that's just mm-hmm. an example that I was kind of pulling out. You know, um, another big surprise has been Cleveland, like especially of late. Like Cleveland's kind of been on a roll. Uh, not really a team anybody saw coming in, doing a lot of stuff, especially to begin with. You have your usual shitty teams in the East, like Detroit and Orlando. Um, they're bad. I don't think anybody realized how bad they were going to get, though. Yeah. Poor Detroit, like, man. Detroit, dude, like. <laughs> and, I mean, Orlando's right there with them, though. Yeah. No, they are. But I just, like, I wanted to bring up Detroit really quick because it just it seems like – they're pretty much cursed when it comes to sports in that area. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I, yeah, I mean, if you think about them, the Lions, uh, the Tigers recently haven't been great at all. They're starting to kind of have a, a comeuppance, where, or not a comeuppance, excuse me, a come up where they had a pretty good season last year. They definitely have put some pieces together. They, I believe they got Javi Baez, uh, former Cub in free agency. Um, baseball is a whole other topic that we can possibly discuss again in a future episode here with the lockout shit going on. Um, yeah, the Red Wings are kind of in a rebuild. Like Detroit just kind of has a lot of suckage going on. You got to feel bad. Yeah. I know. In the elves. Well, and I have an apology to make because you had that friend who, who brought up a really good point that I should not be hating on the Detroit Lions for their Thanksgiving games. They got to have something, man. Yeah. And they put a lot of money into it, you know. Well, a lot of pride, and that was a that's just a shitty thing. I, I take it back. Yeah. So you hear that taco? Fucking my brother takes it back. Your guilt trip. Your guilt trip worked. No, it wasn't even that, dude. Like I thought about <laughs> it afterwards. I was like, I was just saying that shit to say it. Like, yeah. I feel like I know Detroit. Like in general, um, I root for teams from the Midwest as well. You know, big rivalry, that kind of thing. But I don't know, like. I enjoy when teams are good and fans can enjoy it unless I really fucking hate you. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the, the whole point of sports, right. Is uh, competitive nature and sports is more fun when you have more teams that are good. I mean, it's the, the season can be long. And I feel like regardless if you're a baseball fan, a basketball fan, um, football, whatever, it, there's there's games that come up on the schedule that even going into the year before the season starts, you just look at it, you're like, oh, great, we got to watch this game. Because you know it's just going to be a mop-up special, right? Like, you know it's going to be easy when you see the Detroits on there, when you see the Clevelands, when you see you, – you know what I mean? Like, just historically bad teams. No, and that's what that's what's tough is – I mean, they've lost, like, 13 in a row, row I believe, like – 
it's not even like, hey, man, every now and then they put it together and it's just bouncing the wrong way. Like, yeah. you know, they're, they're playing some, some pretty atrocious basketball. Um, I think the team that's kind of surprising for how mediocre they've been is Atlanta. I expected a little bit more. Maybe it's a, a little bit more of a regression. You know, they had that really hot um, season last year, taking Milwaukee all the way in the conference finals. Um, they looked a little bit dangerous at times last year. And they've well, yeah, they went in. I, I'm sorry, I was just going to say no, they went into that playoff um, being at, in, at one part of the season towards the, the lower half of the conference to becoming a fifth seed. And like you said, they put up a really good fight against a, uh, a loaded and eventual champion of the, uh, of the NBA and the Milwaukee Bucks. So definitely something going into the season, people had higher expectations. But from, from what I've noticed, just looking into it briefly, Atlanta, uh, a team that has been pride, uh, pride on its uh, defense, is kind of struggling defensively. Teams are making a lot of their three-pointers and a lot of their big shots. Um, and you just can't have that. And, and Trey Young, who I think is a very fun player, um, he he obviously is a bucket getter, but he hasn't hit that threshold of pat, surpassing 25 points a night. Well, and a lot of people are pointing to the new rule changes where you're having like the definition of a basketball move has to be involved when a player is just going up for a random shot and is trying to draw a foul. And they're trying to say that Trey Young maybe was reliant on that too much in his game. I don't think the numbers really bear that out too much. I know they say always him and Harden are the guys that, you know, that rule was basically made for. Um, I do like that that rule exists. You know, it kind of creates it uh, more on the impetus to give the defender a chance. But I don't think that's totally to blame for Atlanta's woes. I just think a couple of their guys aren't playing as well. They had a really hot run last year. Um, they're still in the playoff hunt right now at the bottom of the standings, but I think them, Boston, and Philadelphia are kind of like the underachievers in that conference right now. Oh, for sure. And I, I don't mind seeing that from Boston. I think Philadelphia's kind of gotten fucked with uh, a couple injuries with Embiid, especially being hurt right now. But you kind of can say that about his entire career. That's just what it is to this point. Yeah, but you know what, man? You got to trust the process, baby. Well, and that's what I was going to say is, um, you know, Cleveland – has been a good surprise. Chicago has been a really good surprise. Milwaukee's kind of just doing their thing. They started, Milwaukee started off really badly, but they were missing guys like Middleton for a while. Um, they got up their rotation back. They've, they've won seven out of the last 10. They started to play a lot better, more complete games. Giannis looks like, you know, an MVP should. Um, Brooklyn at the top of the standings. Durant really, I think Durant could do it on his own. I don't think he even needs Kyrie to come back and have a title contender. I think mm-hmm. having Harden, mm-hmm as that number two for him is more than enough. I, I, yeah, I just – and this isn't even, like, because, like, uh, personal stances. I just don't see Kyrie fitting in. I, I truly don't. Oh, because, and I, I think that's fine. I don't think they even need him. Yeah, and because, I mean, Kevin Durant, he's a guy that you can be very comfortable with bringing the ball up the court and holding Dude. on, possessing the ball. And he's same a, with James Harden. He's a big toe away from beating Milwaukee last year. Yeah. Like when his foot was on the line, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I'll quickly I'll quickly say for me, uh, the team that definitely surprised me the most was the Bulls. Um, I can't remember exactly what I had said in the original episode, but I remember talking about uh, Mr. Alex Caruso, everybody's favorite white boy. Um 
Definitely did not see him having the impact uh, defensively. I mean, he's always been touted as as a player who's pretty good uh, defensively. Um, always up in the argument when it came to deflections and things of that nature. Very good uh, player off the bench that brings some little bit of energy uh, when he was with L.A. Uh, he, he has been playing probably some of the best basketball of uh of his career so far just just watching i haven't looked down at the analytics so any nerd who's listening like well his last year when he was with the bulls his uh three-point percentage was 0.5 like shut the fuck up nerd. um <laughs> just just from just from the looks of it he's playing a lot better and the thing that's really been helpful uh for the Bulls' success in, in my opinion correct me if i'm wrong uh, is Lonzo Ball and his uh, his work that he's done when it comes to shooting. I think he has become a much better shooter than anybody thought he would be able to become. And with that, when you have people like Levine and DeMar DeRozan, uh, the, the sky is the limit when you have somebody that can stretch out the floor like that. And we'll see where, where that ends up going, especially as they're dealing with uh... – a lot of this COVID stuff going on, but really quickly before we move on to the Western conference and then uh, wrap up this little NBA segment. I appreciate uh, Let me have a little bit of time for this. Um, I know Indiana's kind of been a really snake bitten team as well. Uh, they kind of just can't seem to buy a break whenever they get a guy who is putting shit together. He either has a really terrible injury or, or something else happens. Um, Charlotte's been kind of an overachiever. I think so far, uh, Miami's just kind of doing their thing. They're always going to be around. I hope that the Knicks team from last year kind of makes a reappearance because I think I think basketball is more fun when the Knicks are at least competitive. I don't know about you. I mean, I grew up in the 90s. I was used to those like Starks, Ewing, uh, Spike Lee on the sidelines talking shit to Jordan. Like, yeah, for sure. That's I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's partly nostalgia. Maybe that's why I, I like the Pistons being good too. You know, as it brings up like those old rivalry kind of things. And maybe I just need to get over that. But I know I kind of hope that the Knicks thing wasn't just an aberration. No, I can agree with that. Also, as somebody who follows uh, one of the actors from The Wire, who's a Knicks fan, as well as one of my favorite, um, I guess you could say, underground rap artists, they're also a Knicks fan, and they were constantly tweeting about the disappointment of being a Knicks fan, which I I got to admit, the petty in me enjoys reading, and I, I get a couple good chuckles out of it. See, I basically feel that way about Boston sports. I'm kind of agnostic when it comes to, like, New York sports outside of the Yankees. Yeah. So, but yeah, You don't fuck on. with the bean, dude? You don't fuck with it, dude? I just I can't help it. <laughs> like, can't help it, man. It's not that like, it's not that those teams aren't good. It's not that those players weren't great. I just can't fuck with it. It's because they're Irish, dude. Hey, not Irish people. Hey, I'm I. We're, we're Irish, man. <laughs> I love. I love. You know, I know. Of Ireland. I know. That's why. That's why I'm just saying, dude. Just don't be putting right. that shit out there, like. <laughs> you never know, dude. Like, there's yeah. people back home. Yeah, no, no, you're right, you're right. Yeah, we love we love the Irish people. I just like to get, I just like to fucking I I would like to visit there someday. I do not want this slander preceding me. <laughs> you you get ready to fucking land in Ireland. They're like, "Well, we were about to let you in, but uh your fucking brother ruined it hey, for that." I even know how to pronounce Celtic the right way with the hard C, not the saucy. 
So, so wait, how do you say it then? Celtic. It's not Celtic. Mm-hmm. Celtic. Okay. Like that's okay. the actual mm-hmm. pronunciation. Like okay, I, I just sports, for the sports team, it is the Celtics because it's the wrong thing. But like, if you're talking about like the actual Celtic people, like it's it sounds like a K. See, I low key, I was just hoping to bait you into like doing an Irish accent, so I could be like, "See, I told you we hate Irish people," but you didn't. You almost had, yeah. dude, I almost did it in response, and I had to stop myself. <laughs> yeah, dude. Hey, man, I I had to try it. You can't blame me. All right, all right. No, I don't. <laughs> Let's move on to the Western Conference, and obviously, as usual, the Western Conference is the, I would say, the superior conference once again. Last year, it was kind of up for debate. You know, like you had some mediocre teams that were going to be sneaking in. With the expanded playoffs, you're going to get a lot more mediocre teams sneaking in. I don't really think that's anything you can hold against the leagues anymore, other than the fact that they probably shouldn't have expanded the playoffs to begin with. But Golden State is just probably the the most enjoyable team in professional sports, I would say, outside of like the Chiefs or the Chargers right now. Mm. Like as far as just pure fun to watch. Because yeah. Steph is just still doing shit that I don't think anybody ever foresaw or, or no, still I, thinks that he can pull off, you know? Dude, I, it was funny enough. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, man, I'll never forget when my dumb ass was talking about like keep Monte Ellis and get rid of Steph. Like I remember that was my that was my mantra for a while. And, and it wasn't even... And, and it wasn't even just me who said that. There was a lot of people talking heads on uh, on ESPN who were saying the same thing. And it's just, I don't know. It's it's wild to see the evolution of Steph Curry. Like, like I said, I remember him being a younger player in the league, all of the doubt that surrounded him, and then now seeing the player that he is, where he he as soon as he crosses that half court line, it's like, oh, he can hit. He he might hit this shot. It's insane. Just look at the beginning, right? Like he went to what Davidson, I believe was the school that he went to Correct. small school, I believe in one of the Carolinas or thereabouts. Cause that's where his family grew up. Cause I knew about his dad. Cause his dad played for the Charlotte Hornets when I was growing up on the teams that had like, was it Alonzo morning and uh, Larry Johnson and Muggsy Bogues and shit like that. Like he was one of their shooters. And so I knew Del Curry. And when I started hearing about Steph Curry, it was his team. I think they made either a sweet 16 run or elite eight run where he just went crazy in one of the tournaments. And I can't remember if that's the year that he got, that he left school or if that was the year before, but it was something like that where he made a splash and I was like, Oh yeah, I remember this. I know that name. That's a, that's a player I watched when I was younger. That's his kid. Right. And he goes to a small school. He didn't get recruited by, you know, Duke, North Carolina. He didn't get recruited by even NC state or like, you know, he went to a small school. Usually especially in basketball talent shows a little bit sooner, I think than other sports maybe, or at least it's a little bit more obvious because it's more of an individualized sport. There's only five guys on a team. You can kind of stand out a little bit easier, but I think he's definitely one of those dudes. Once his body filled out, once he made it to the league and got to a professional weight room, got like the money to have a better chef, like making sure that he's eating the right way. I think everybody always had doubts about his ankles and he has had a couple injuries and surgeries here and there, but he is the greatest shooter who ever lived, and there's no doubt about it. Oh, there's – it's going to be 
I, the way I said it, like, sounds like I just made some grand statement. It's like the most obvious shit that you can say. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is, what people fail to realize is that we're not going to see another Steph Curry in our lifetime. It's not going to happen. It's not. There, I will be surprised if we end up seeing another NBA player that is as fast as him, um, as good on defense as he is. And in, in, in a shooter at the at the rate that he is, without a doubt. I mean, I well, look it, at what he's done as a teammate, right? Like, people give that Warriors team grief because, oh man, you guys won a championship, and then you just brought Durant in to win another championship. Like, first of all, they won a championship before that, so it's not like they had to bring Durant in to win, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, that's my first point, usually. Like, I'm not a Golden State Warrior fan, but I'm also not a hater, so I'm just going to keep it real. They didn't need him to win, but they brought him in because they realized, hey, we can make this a lot easier on, on us. Why the fuck not? We'll get him a ring, and we'll get another one. Worked out for everybody. They all put that shit behind him. Now Durant's able to do his thing on his own, and he's still got a championship out of the way. Yeah. He then goes through probably the worst injury luck as a teammate that you can go through where you lose your two best teammates or two of your three best teammates to like horrendous injury, like back to back. They still don't have clay Thompson. They haven't had him for basically almost, it feels like three years now. Yeah. Uh, since like at least the bubble, right? Yeah. Around then. I mean, it That's was when the, he, uh, 2019 was the series. Well, I was going to say freaking the 2019 uh, championship. Where yeah, he had against Toronto. Mm-hmm. And so the last two years, Steph has basically been playing with like Draymond Green and a bunch of other dudes who happened to maybe one of them as a guy uh, who should have been a superstar, but kind of took their path not taken after he came out of Minnesota. 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 And so – it's not that they don't have talent there, but I think Steph has made it so like, okay, the last couple of years, they didn't really do a whole lot. He still had a great season last year. Um, made the team respectable when they probably should have been a cellar dweller. They didn't have to worry about playing 100 games in the season the last two years. I think that's part of the reason why they're dangerous is that Clay is coming back. If he's anything close to like 80% of what he was, he's still like a, almost an all-star player, you know, out of the gate. I, I just don't see – I mean, Phoenix is playing great right now too. They had a great run last year. Um, they kind of prove have proven that they can do it. Utah has a great defense, great all-around team. Um, like I said, the West is kind of stacked, right? Like you have some shitty teams, but for the most part there's talent there. Um, but I still see Golden State as like uh, head and shoulders above everybody else as far as what they can do and what they can uh, – how fun they're to watch. And so really, yeah, what are your, I, I was going to ask you, what are your disappointed teams right now for the West? Well, like I was going to say, like, I know that the Thunder aren't supposed to be good, but they are extra bad. OK, like I know their record isn't as bad as Orlando, Detroit, a couple of those teams we talked about in the East. But I think I think Oklahoma has just looked extra terrible. I mean, they had that game where didn't they have a game where they got beat by like 70 points. <laughs> yeah, it was like 72, 75 points. That was like some shit from like NBA Live when I was 12. We're like, <laughs> you're just running up the score because you don't know any better. 
Yeah. Fucking keeping your starters in, even though you already got like a 30 point lead. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin Garnett has like 45 points, 27 rebounds, like 15 blocks. Cause you played him <laughs> seven minutes out of 48 and you kept it on 12 minute quarters. Cause you're a sadist. <laughs> Cause you're a kid and you don't have shit else to do for the day. No. And I would say the Rockets are kind of right there as far as suckitude goes, but they just have a shitty owner and a shitty situation. Um, I think the Pelicans without Zion, like they just don't know what the fuck to do. No, they don't have an identity whatsoever. And I, I think it just kind of fits an overall pattern where you have these teams that in, in a in an era where you know it's all about sucking for the process. And there's not really a better way to describe it other than in the meat in the meantime, you suck. It's not even enjoyable as a fan, like to watch these guys grow because you know that the guys who are there probably aren't gonna be the guys that you eventually win with anyway. And I think for a lot of teams, that's just not a fun situation to be in. Like you don't have anything to build on. You don't have a, you don't have a clear path to the future because really the team that you're supposed to be kind of building this upon is the Philadelphia 76ers who are are struggling right now to even be a playoff team. Yeah. Shout out to Ben Simmons. Well, that's a whole different, like, they should have traded him while they could, or they should have just yeah. kept their mouth shut and not said a word about him. Yeah. You can't throw your own player under the bus. Expect and him to expect for you. And you or trade value for him. That's that's what I've been like poking at is like, yo, how are the fucking Sixers trying to bitch about like nobody wants Ben Simmons? Like, y'all are the ones who threw his fucking name under the bus, man. Like, what do you what do you mean? Like, it's I don't know, this is a dumb analogy, but you ever had that friend at lunch who's like Man, this sandwich is gross. Will somebody trade me for it? <laughs> yeah, like, no, like, you just told me that sandwich was gross. Why the fuck would I trade you for it? For this thing that I know is good. Or at least tolerable. <laughs> Yo, man, this juice sucks, dude. Somebody want to trade it for their Dr. Pepper? Like, get yeah. the fuck away, dude. What do you mean? Yeah, like, you might get some water for that. You might. Water you do, but <laughs> I think I think honestly the team that kind of seems people don't really talk about them because they kind of drift even when they're good is the Spurs. Um, mm. I get the feeling Popovich. I don't know, man. Like he's a great coach. He is usually able to keep shit together, but they don't have that superstar ever since Kawhi left. Yeah. No, and they and they don't have you know the uh, the Tony Parkers or the Manu Ginobili's anymore to pick up that slack and be that yeah. X factor, you know. And so I would expect better from that because I mean I know the Kings are going to suck, like that's obvious, right? But like I don't expect usually to see the Spurs on the bottom of that uh, bottom of that conference. And again, this is very early on. Like people say, this is usually when the season starts. I didn't mean to take like a almost a half an hour with this, so we can definitely move on whenever you're ready. But was, really, really quickly, I was going to ask you back what what kind of stands out to you early on besides the Bulls, like just uh, NBA wide, whether it's a player or just a trend or just a uh, maybe a team. Um, for me, the thing that stands out is uh, the Suns being able to kind of repeat some of the uh, positivity that they had brought from last season. I know it was uh, tough in the playoffs coming up short the way that they did, 
But seeing the Suns play the way they are and just watching the Lakers continue to struggle to find an identity besides LeBron. That's one thing I bring up is the Lakers suck. Like, they're doing okay right now in the standings because they kind of put on, like, a little bit of a win streak lately. But the Lakers are not not a good basketball team. No, and they're they're not good to watch. Let's just put it that way. And sorry to kind of short shift the Western Conference as far as our specifics. Living where we do, it's really hard to watch West Coast games. Even when I do get the chance to watch highlights or watch like stuff, it usually tends to be like everything else, Eastern fucking bias. So I apologize, but Western Conference is obviously superior. So there's that for you. Yeah. Fucking abuse, dude. No, I'm just kidding. And then if if you wanted, we could talk really quick. Uh, the Bulls had, you know, like we said, a really huge outbreak of COVID-19. The Omicron variant, Omicron Percy I-8, um, really has taken not only the United States, but the world by storm, even though it hopefully, knock on wood, appears to be a more contagious variant, but less lethal. Almost like uh, I heard somebody make the analogy of in the end, the virus wants to be less lethal because if its host dies, the virus dies. Yeah. So maybe this is a variant of the virus that's realizing it needs to be that I'm talking about it. Like it's doing this consciously. It's not what happens, but you know, for lack of a better analogy, the virus needs to be less lethal to keep on going and to spread almost like the cold or the flu, right? You get it. It doesn't kill you. It gets in you need, does what it needs to do as a virus and then moves on to its next host. If it needs to, Maybe we're in that stage where I think I heard somebody <clears throat> call it like endocremic or, or I'm, I'm getting the pronunciation completely wrong because I don't know the word very well. But basically, it's learning to live with a new disease just like we have throughout history. Yeah. Well, I don't know. The, it sucks, the, the, <clears throat> that, but it's pretty much what we have to fucking deal with and hope for at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, after after things are coming out of the lockdown and the Delta stuff started coming out, uh, that's that's kind of for me when I had that realization, like, okay, this is going to be, unfortunately, uh, just a, a disease that we're going to have to uh, coexist with, you know? Absolutely. It's going to be, as everybody says, man, the new normal. Well, and because the thing is, right, like, we have the surge that's going on with the Bulls. There's a couple players on L.A. Um, well, and it's happening in every league. league. Yeah, and, and, you know, with the NFL, last I saw, there was up to, like, 90 players and staff that are it was in the over, protocol. It was over 120 when I saw it today. Okay. As Monday. Ooh, yeah. So, as of Monday, it rose up because when I saw it, it was over the weekend when I looked. And yeah. so, it was, like, 90-something. But, yeah, 120. Obviously, um, there's a lot more talks now about what, what the possibilities are for uh, sports functions in general. And I know, Steve, you said you kind of wanted to mention something about uh, to the effects that uh, the sports industry sets a precedent. Yeah, and I just it, – it's not that like, oh, man, sports has it right, so we should do what they're doing. It's going to be a different situation because their vaccinated population is much higher. Like you're talking about like in the, in the 90 percentages – as opposed to like United States society wide, I believe it's around 70%. And so the vaccinated population is higher to begin with. And so you can make some of these rule restrictions that they're trying to, to come up with. For example, the NFL is talking about 
they're going back to like masking up in the facility, everything by video. They're, they're going into the more stringent protocols, but they're trying to make it easier if you're asymptomatic to come back and play with only one negative test after like only maybe a day or two, as opposed to five days with two negative tests, that kind of thing. And so what they're basically, what people are drawing the conclusion is, yeah, they're recognizing that this variant is going to spread more, but maybe, especially if you're asymptomatic, it's not as dangerous. And maybe just coming to the realization that, you know, we're just going to have to make adaptation a key part of our strategy. Obviously, nobody wants to go back into lockdown effects. Even if you wanted to, it's not possible. We couldn't even lock down right in the first place. We're never going to be able to do that again. That time has passed. Yeah. That, that, that option is out the window. There, there aren't going to be any draconian methods because nobody wanted to enforce that shit in the first place even when we needed to. Um, yeah. And, and I think now, too, and I hate to do this like both sides argument because I fucking hate it. But I think it's safe to say that like both sides, both people who are vaccinated and who aren't vaccinated are not willing to go back to a complete shutdown. No, nobody is. And I mean, I've even heard people who have gotten both shots and a booster who say like, if they tried to do that, I would fucking, I would go crazy. That would never happen. Um, so that we're just, we're past that. And the time it should have happened is past. So I'm not even going to make the argument that we should do that again. What we need to do is try to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Get your shots and your booster if you can. Uh, but we also are going to have to learn that this is just something that might be stuck with us. Hopefully it's less virulent strains. The, unfortunately, the flip side conspiracy, of course, that I've heard is that the strain itch actually is more, or, uh, ver, uh, more dangerous than people are letting on, but they kind of want everybody to just continue on through Christmas until they realize, uh, how bad it was. But I know, I think some of that is just doom doomsayer kind of shit, but you never fucking know in the, in the society that we live in. Well, it's hard to tell, but I definitely, the one thing I did notice is that like before any sort of like extensive research has gone into the Omicron, uh, Percy I-8 Star Trek series, um, there, there wasn't enough of the, the research that was being put in and they were already trying to put out like everybody needs to be afraid of this. And obviously like uh, the fear mongering that people on the right always love to bring up like this was a case of definitely like leftist media outlets trying to uh, blow this out of proportion and make it seem like it's a lot more deadly. Obviously it's something that people should keep an eye on, you know, mask up, get your vaccines, uh, get your boosters, if you will. Um, but it's, it's definitely one of those things where, as my brother had mentioned, it's more, it's more communicable, communicable, but less lethal. Well, that's the hope anyway. And I, I think the leagues are starting to take that into account in their procedures that they're going to do. Um, I think, look at what the NFL has kind of put in, in, into effect for guidelines. Cause I don't know. I think back to when the NBA players left the court after Rudy Gobert and then other players starting to test a positive, that was when it really hit home for me that, okay, maybe society is going to start taking this. Maybe I need to start taking this more seriously. Yeah. Well, you never know. Maybe I'm just an NBA head. NBA and the NFL, which stands for No Freedom League, brother. Yeah, yeah, and don't even get me started on Enos Cantor Freedom. I don't even. Want to talk <laughs> dude, that about fucking it. guy is such a grifter. Dude, just literally trying to pretend he cares about human rights, but takes pictures with John fucking Bolton. That's well, all he has. But, and I understand his anti-Turkish government stance because uh, the Turkish government historically has been pretty fucking terrible. Um, but let's not get it confused. He's also getting grifted too. Don't get it wrong. Well, the guy, the guy that he's like super supportive of over in Turkey is literally like a CIA asset who set up like certain like extremist uh, 
uh, Mujahideen type well, uh, schools. And he's right? not allowed to live in Turkey. He has to live in the United States. That guy you're talking about. Yeah, because well, he was the one that was responsible for throwing that coup, which the United States was like, "Oh, we totally had nothing to do with that." Even though like your helicopters were seen flying out of our bases, but that's a whole, you know, different subject. Well, and what's funny, Flynn is taking a lot of money from the Turkish government as far as consulting and stuff goes. So the right wing is involved in all sides of that shit. Well, you know, well, the whole thing with, yeah, I, we won't get into that, but I, I just thought it was really fucking shady. And, and you know what? Fuck Michael Flynn and a few of the other um, people that I won't name at the moment for continuing to follow the Western tradition of using Kurdish freedom fighters and then selling them down the river whenever an opportune chance comes. So, well, yeah, and definitely double fuck yourself for that one, but we'll have to have a QAnon update episode. Because there's been some recent shit that got stirred up involving Michael Flynn. So maybe we'll have to have a, a special segment in the next couple of weeks for that. Yeah, I also want to do, we definitely need to do that because there is the guy that was from that documentary that you had put me on, Steve, uh, that the Asian kid. Um, oh, yeah, you're talking about uh, Ron Watkins. Ron Watkins, yeah, who's running for Code Monkeys. Yeah, Mr. Code yeah. Monkey. Okay. I, I definitely want to do something about that. Now. Yeah, Code Monkey Z. Well, uh, dude, I am I am well steeped in the QAnon verse, unfortunately. Yes, um, I know you are. That's why, like, I'm gonna do an episode where I just like get to pick your brain and have fun with it. That'd be that'd be nice. Because I am proud to say I have listened to every episode of the podcast, including all the premium <laughs> episodes. Yeah, fucking nerd, dude. Exactly. You know, every once in a while, I, I know it's not the the QAnon podcast, but every once in a while, I go into uh, the Chapo Trap House Twitch channel. Just to see yeah. if I can find you in there. Oh, I, 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 I've been, I've been slipping on my Chapo stuff because I haven't paying so much attention to QAnon. So if you ever see um, QAnon Anonymous going, um, the other person I, I actually got my, uh, my Twitch list the other day about like who I watched the most, and I believe you were third on it. Hey. Um, so yeah, definitely. But yeah, number one was Q, uh, Julian Field. He's one of the hosts of QAnon Anonymous, but he tends to stream on his own a lot. Um, another person who was on there, um, her name is Liv Agar. She, she hosts and streams a lot with, uh, QAnon Anonymous. And then they were like my number two because they record once or twice, uh, like a couple of times a month. But, uh, yeah, QAnon Anonymous, it's great shit. I definitely hope that we have an updated episode soon. We've kind of talked about it throughout the, throughout the last year, whether it was the Mud Fossil University or the, uh, QAnon stuff proper. It's definitely always interesting. Yeah, I I haven't listened to much of them, but I have been uh, getting into the True Non podcast, especially with the coverage of the uh, Jermaine Maxwell trial. Yeah, they've actually been doing a really good job with that. No, and a couple of them have been on, and vice versa. And so there's a lot of overlap. Like if you're involved in any kind of leftist and or like conspiracy theory watch kind of stuff, like not people who are actually into conspiracy theory, but people who are into keeping an eye on the people who are into conspiracy theories. Like, there's a lot of overlap. So you'll see a lot of the same people or hear a lot of the same people. And you know what? I'll, I'll just quickly say that that is one thing that just kind of gave me more hopeful for, like, leftist uh, movements is the fact that there's a lot more crossovers that are happening now. There's not as much. Like, there's always going to be infighting when it comes to the left because there's so many different 
um, agreements and disagreements over, you know, whether it be domestic and foreign policy, economics, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Well, and you have to be scared for grifters and fucking charlatans, right? Look at the red scare people like hanging out with Alex Jones. Yeah. Well, you know, you have people like the, the Glenn Greenwalds and. The, oh, my God. Uh, that dude's gone off the deep end. Yeah, he has lost his fucking mind. And then there was another journalist. I'm, I'm speaking. Matt Taibbi has gone off the deep end, and he was a great journalist too. Yeah, and then you know, people who were obvious grifters from the start, or anybody that pays enough attention, you know, like the Jimmy Doors and and all that. Uh, you know, and Jimmy Dore is one of those guys. I always thought he was maybe just misunderstood or just took it too far sometimes. But he's just a dipshit. Yeah. Well, he's one of those guys that like he he wants Don't to come be. At me. All the door heads. <laughs> Dude, fucking moment, do it. He threw Michael Brooks. The moment Glenn Greenwald and him threw Michael Brooks under the bus, that was lost with me. Yeah. that To me, that was really fucked up when they when they took that shot at, uh, at Michael Brooks because I think um, – Because Michael Brooks made it clear that anyone associated with him and anybody on that podcast knew what the fuck they were talking about when it came to a couple things, and they, they totally disregarded all that. No, for sure. And and I think um I also think it's kind of fucked up just you know, the attacks on majority report. Obviously I don't uh agree with Sam Cedar on a lot of uh the stances he takes. I No, I, I, I think really... just I think just like there are a lot of the people on the show, everybody kind of moved a lot further left than Sam was willing to go. And I think that was true of the people who are even on the show currently. Yeah, for sure. No, I I just kind of wanted to bring that up. Sorry to steer the conversation away. No, no, you didn't steer it away at all. That's just natural where it goes. Um, yeah, so we'll do that. Then, we'll do that Q and on update update here soon. But I know you were on to talk about a couple of things too. Yeah. Um, the one thing I wanted to bring up was recently in the headlines. It's still an ongoing uh, development, so bear with me. I'm only going off of what has been uh, known and what has been factually stated, which has been confirmed by both sides. There we go. Both sides argument again, drinking game. Um, but over in Hawaii, the paradise of America, if you will, there has been a recent outpour of concern and um, a lot of organizational methods that are being taken because there have been uh, fuel leaks from the United States military that are going into the aquifers. Now, According to the statistics that I have gathered, um, these fuel tanks are about 100 meters or so above these aquifers, which contribute to 25% of the water supply for the island of Honolulu. Um, It's definitely uh, not surprising seeing the history of uh, contamination and uh, poisoning, essentially, of not just... uh, uh, internationally from United States military bases, but also just uh, within the United States itself, uh, different parts of the industrial Midwest being poisoned uh, and, and stricken with uh, poor water quality. And this is something that's happened in Hawaii where a lot of people are starting to get worried. Um, people on, on the complete island itself, certain islands might be evacuated or removed. And I think you're starting to see the beginnings of what's possibly the best mimic of a climate crisis and a climate refugee situation. Um, and I just wanted to quickly bring that up to people's attention so they can start looking into it as well and, and keep in touch with it because it's going to be really important um, from the future moving on. 
deciding what happens to the United States military, whether there's any sort of settlement that's reached or any sort of payment, what the cleanup effort's going to be if they do decide to remove these fuel tanks and and this toxic waste that is so close to these aquifers. Um, It's definitely an important subject. It seems like it's a throwaway kind of news story, but it's one that I think is kind of important. No, it definitely is, and we know it's not beyond the realm of speculation because we just talked a couple of weeks ago about Haiti, right, where the UN was involved in some very serious allegations and probably proof of them contaminating the water and leading to a cholera outbreak. So it's definitely something we've seen, even just in the stuff we've talked about. For sure. And, and the thing is, the reason why it's known that it was the United States, there can't be any questioning um, is the United States themselves have already gone on record to admit that it is their fuel tanks and that they have found the the leakage and they plan on stopping it. But there are multiple uh, representatives from Hawaii and different organizational groups that are asking for the United States military to remove this toxic waste and get it far away from their aquifers, which I think is uh, more than reasonable. But you know what? That's just, you know, the communist to me, I guess, huh? Well, that's the new form of American imperialism, right? Is we do it with an apology. Yeah. We do it with an apology and a sad face. You know, if you're Obama, you write a book about how sad it was to drone kids, right? Yeah. No, and I'm, dude, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I think Obama was like the, uh, for lack of better words, he was the messiah of showing the left how to do like apologist, uh, imperialist, uh, uh, policy right well Where... and he well he took that that playbook from bill clinton because that was all about you know being a compassionate liberal willing to use the military you know like we learned from rwanda i feel your pain hillary we gotta send all these u.s like, covert operations over in bosnia we, we gotta we gotta, we gotta stop that genocide it's not right it's not cool hillary let me grab your boobs i don't want to drop these bombs to distract from my blowjob situation where i raped <laughs> a lady but you know got to do it. I said, I'm the president. You know, you want this. Okay. <clears throat> but <laughs> yeah, I'm like, sorry. so I mean, it, really, I like Ob- Obama definitely left because I mean, Bush couldn't get away with the apology shit because he wanted to be a strong guy because mm-hmm. Republicans always have to pretend to be the strong guy. But like liberals have learned you can be the strong guy and just pretend that you're sad about it. Yeah, and, like, and it'll work. Emotional side, and well, well, no, I mean, fucking. As long even, as you regret it, you can get away with anything. Yeah, well, I mean, not even just liberals, but like centrist moderates, right? Or like you know the the centrist conservative, like that. That's the stuff that they eat up because it's all about the uh, sanctimonious act. Then it is a pure one, right? Like it's all about the appearance of what you do. That's why you know there's. <laughs> There's always the the misunderstanding from the general public, right? Like I've told people numerous times, like Joe Biden and Donald Trump are essentially the same person. Just one of them is overtly racist and the other subtly racist, right? Like Joe Biden doesn't go out there and say that like, uh, you know, Mexican people are, are all rapists and criminals and, you know, but he does sit there and he was one of the main orchestrators of the, uh, uh, prison industrial complex and you know the he's part of the the liberal wave of you know considering people who are black the uh predators right like uh, aggressive predators mm-hmm. um, no and he, be- he became he became he became grandpa joe it's the difference between how you view your grandpa's racism versus your drunk uncles right like yeah. 
they eventually have a similar outcome, but you view it differently. Yeah, like, oh, you know, grampy, grandpappy just grew up in a different time. It's, you know. Yeah, it's a different excuse. And really, it's what you said about the, it appealing to moderates and liberals. What, what part of that appeal is like um, the idea of self-sacrifice for the greater good, right? Like, you're willing to sacrifice your morals and your scruples in order to do the quote-unquote right thing. And they eat that shit up completely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same people who, you know, it's like the liberals are the are the centrist conservatives who are like, oh, those poor homeless people, like something should be done. And then they start talking about bringing up like housing developments and shit like that. And they're like, not in my backyard, you know, the NIMBYs, right? Like you have the difference between the NIMBYs and the NIMBYs. Like you have the, the liberals who are like, yeah, housing developments and, you know, my neighborhood, blah, blah, blah. But then you have... You know, even liberals, like people who vote Democrat all the time, who are like, no, we don't want housing developments in my neighborhood that bring down property values, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. No, and that <clears throat> that's part of the same exact kind of mindset. Um, it's always about somebody else's sacrifice. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely think that's something that people should pay attention to. It's also related to stuff like... Uh, uh, Native indigenous peoples drinking water stuff when it came down to the pipeline uh, protests and all that kind of stuff too. Were they literally tear gas and like bean bagged and fucking shot people that were unarmed? Well, it know? was their it was their warm up for the uh, George Floyd summer, right? Yeah, exactly. They had to get that training in. And that's always what happens is uh, it's it used to get turned outward. Now it gets put into small communities first, and then it gets taken on a bigger scale. Well, you know, and, and, you know, this can kind of be a segue into a, to a talking point that I wanted to bring up is, you know, the the police propaganda that's going out right now about the rise in retail theft. I don't know if you've been paying any attention to that at all. Yeah, when it's also just a whole bunch of bullshit. Well, because because that was the thing, right? Like one of our one of our local, um, well, one of your local. I keep saying our um, one of your local uh, news newspapers. They had printed an article that was talking about how shop owners and police are, you know, becoming afraid because of the rise of of retail thefts, like these like retail theft hit squads that you know send ten to fifteen people in at a time and snatch up all the stuff from like a Louis Vuitton store or like a Gucci store or whatever. And there's just like a lot of propaganda that's going around that is basically saying that, you know, it's the most dangerous time and all this other shit. But if you actually look at the FBI statistics for, for robberies, right. It's actually down and it's down between 13 and 30% since 2019, which when you look at crime statistics, dude, anytime you get in the double digits, especially past 10%, that's a really fucking huge drop off. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is just keep that in mind whenever you start to hear or start to see these like fluff stories that are trying to make you feel sad for these corporations that already write retail theft and product loss into their uh, into their profit margins. So it's not even the stance of like, oh, you know, we're we're gonna have to close down shop because Walgreens tried doing that recently, and then that report came out that they were already planning on closing down stores and and getting rid of employees. So just using it as an excuse. 
Yeah, so it, it's just, you know, it's something to keep in mind whenever you start to see these fluff pieces about how dangerous it's becoming. Because really, the ultimate goal is to make people feel more comfortable paying more tax money to give these, you know, million and billion dollar corporations more subsidies and more breaks and more bailouts. And also to simultaneously continue to fund the police at a measure that is beyond reasonable when all that money could be going towards social resources, rebuilding the, uh, the middle class and lower class, um, you know, just food for well, People always bring up, oh, all these movements to defund the police and look at all this crime. And it's like, I don't believe there was one major metropolitan area that actually defunded their police departments. So I don't know what the fuck people are pointing to. And also like a couple of viral videos do not make like a nationwide trend. You know, no, like, exactly. And and that whole defund the policing, like you said, right, like there hasn't been one city that's like truly defunded. And when the defund the police thing pops up, right, like, for example, the LAPD was looking to get uh, like a three to 15 like billion dollar surplus, right, like a percentage added to their already increasingly growing budget right like i think it's number two compared to chicago i think chicago has the highest like police budget um but la or maybe maybe i got that reversed um but la instead of getting a three percent uh financial increase they only got like a one and a half percent and they're trying to claim you know defund the police as to that but it's like do you guys really need more fucking rocket launcher and apcs like you know, quit being a fucking, I, I don't know. That's the only, that in their minds, that's the only tax dollars we're spending. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like what you saw recently with, you know, Democrats and conservatives passing that bill where $777 billion budget. Oh, yeah. The military ask and they jump how high, you know. Yeah. They, but then know, when they it comes jump to how high. When, but but when it comes to middle and lower class struggles, right, like helping with, you know, food programs, assistance for, you know, even people from the common person to a vet, it's no, you got to think about inflation. You got to think about, you know, this, the debt ceiling, blah, blah, blah. Oh, the Democrats are going to get their asses handed to them in the midterms, and it's not even going to be funny. It's going to be a complete wash. And you know what? I welcome it. I, I truly do. I welcome it because Democrats need to fucking learn that you cannot continue to make promises and go back on them and expect to win by just saying, oh, but look at Trump. Oh, but look at Trump. Because you know what? E- even if Trump doesn't do anything to help the common person, he at least gives the appearance and he says shit that people want to hear. Well, and somebody made a great point I saw where, you know, during the pandemic, all I know is Trump shut down my student loan payments. And I know that during the pandemic, Joe Biden turned them on. Yep. And if you're a person who doesn't pay attention to the day in, day out kind of stuff, that's the kind of thing that matters to you more, right? It affects you personally. Well, that's it what really your pocketbook. Like Joe Biden just letting, basically giving this, passing this torch off to Congress. You know, he always talks about the buck stops with me. Come on, Jack, the buck stops. But when it comes down to it, he's passing off this issue of student loan debt to Congress when he has the authoritative power himself to just say, you know what, student loan debt's canceled. He could literally do that if he wanted to. Yeah, he could. All, all the public debt would be gone. You'd still have private loans to take care of, but there's nothing that he could do about that anyway. Exactly. And, and instead of doing that, which is something he would be able to do, something he campaigned on, 
which is probably what got him the win. Um, he's going back on. So as my brother said, I, I think the midterms, it's going to be a red wave. I think America is going to slip back further because not only are you going to get the typical fiscal conservative that goes in there, but you're going to get a lot of these QAnon crazies. You're going to get a lot of these straight Trump cultists that are going to be put into power. Oh, and the Republican and Party is going to be even worse. Without a doubt, because they're going to be emboldened. They're going to be empowered by the complete lack of response from the Democratic Party. Well, and all those uh, Trumpers and QAnon folks, like, they're primarying the rhinos, you know, the Republicans in name only, only whatever, the people who aren't conservative enough for them. They're joining local school boards. That's one thing we'll talk about in the, uh, the update episode is that they have a huge movement to get involved locally. They're becoming precinct committee people. They're becoming school board members. They're becoming uh, uh, council members. They're doing a lot of stuff that the left um, has almost given up on because liberals took it over so well in the democratic party and basically block them out from it. And it'll be interesting to see where the Republican party is at in a couple of years. Cause I think the next one is going to be worse than Trump. I don't know if they'll be as effective, but I think, I think Trump's lack of polish and ego got in the way of what could have been a true fascist agenda. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I just, I, as cynical as it sounds, I'm just really looking forward to Democrats getting their asses kicked. And yeah, it'll be a little them. bit of Schadenfreude, but they'll blame the left again. Oh yeah, they're going to blame the Bernie they Bros. Won't, and... They won't learn a thing from it. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to be like it has been for the past four or five election cycles. To be honest, yeah. they'll come out um, with some report that tells them exactly what they should do, and they'll continue not to do it. And it's almost, you get to the point where you just, you have to wonder, I don't think they want to solve the issue. I don't think they're interested in the solutions. They're just, appear, they're interested in appearing to be the one that will. Yeah. And the conservatives and don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't have to um, pretend to. With the last little bit, because I know we're going to be wrapping it up, it's going to be a shorter episode. I just wanted to quickly bring up the controversy over everybody's favorite uh, snack to go along soup. Crackers. Yep, we're talking about you. You cracker-ass, honky, redneck motherfuckers. Uh, recently, um, popular Twitch streamer and leftist, somebody that I watch almost on a daily basis, Hassan Piker, uh, received a seven-day ban for using the word cracker, mentioning, bringing up the fact that he thought it was absolutely ridiculous that Two of his mods got banned within minutes of typing the word cracker in his chat. Um, and him talking about it, he received a mass report um, for using that term. So I uh, wanted to bring that up and just kind of bring up the hypocrisy because as those remember a few episodes back, I talked about the, uh, the Twitch movement that was happening, the boycott that took place. Um, in response to the growing number of hate raids, <clears throat> excuse me, hate raids that are happening on the platform, as well as the expansive use of certain slurs like the R word, um, the N word, and a few others that uh, dare not need to go into being mentioned. But I just wanted to kind of bring up how I think it's really interesting that uh, 
the word cracker itself is something that Twitch views as being bandworthy and why they were able to work so quickly on it. Like, do, do you, because, because Steve, obviously, you know, we're white uh, in white passing. Um, do you get offended when people call you cracker? Oh, absolutely not. But I'm also not hung up in my identity as being white, you know, and there's not a h- historical baggage that comes with that term, you know, like, I just, I always get, I roll my eyes when there's ever a comparison made between quote unquote white slurs and any other racial slur that gets tossed around. I don't think they are analogous. Um, I mean, in polite company, obviously you don't go around just saying whatever, but I think there's a lot more leeway when it comes to those terms, just because of the historical baggage and just the fact that I don't think white identity has been so conscious as to be what we see as our end all be all. Whereas you define others by usually that racial identity or an other identity, whatever it may be. Well, and the thing is, right? Like there's a historical and contemporary context that's applied to the word cracker, as well as all these other slurs that we're talking about. Right. And ultimately even, even the term cracker, right? Like it's derived from a person who owns slaves who would crack their whip on the slave, right? That's the terminology, a white person who... Well, and it was about, like, specifically a non-upper-class white person, right? Like, you weren't the slave owner. You were the guy keeping track of the slaves for the owner. You didn't even have your own. You were just doing his work for him. Doing his work, exactly. Which brings me to my next point that I... For the main thing that I wanted to talk about this real briefly is that if you go through... And actually look up all of the pejoratives that are out there um, that are supposedly slurs against white people. If you go and look them up, n- every single one of them, I'm going to give the I'm going to give the Lysol 99.9% guarantee that all of them are mainly based off of identity of class more than race when it comes to any sort of. Uh, slur that's associated with white people. Just to give a couple quick examples, I've said them so far in this podcast. You have cracker, honky, redneck, white trash. And I know, Steve, you kind of have a story that you wanted to bring up about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and like you said, it, it, it is very class connected. And I think the origin of that comes from if you as a person of color or if you as an other are, are trying to hurt a white person verbally for whatever reason you know you're just trying to get either under their skin or you're trying to get even or just trying to call them something you think is going to hurt them whatever i think class is the way you do it right because you can't go race you can't say oh you white motherfucker like that's not going to carry the same bag it's not going to carry the same connotation but if you attack them on a class scale that is something that they maybe are lacking compared to other white people in their in their area especially the elites right if you're talking about a slave ruling society where this all comes from like, so there's definitely class components to it all. And when I, when I saw this, I thought back to a, uh, sorry for the tangent here, a moment back in high school, there was a, a group of kids that didn't get along with a couple of people I hung out with. And they were definitely, they were the kind of kids that like wore leather jackets and trench coats and there was definitely a different vibe, right? And 
we definitely connected that with class in our minds. I don't think even consciously. And we tended to call them the white trash kids, you know. And I don't think we even thought about it as coming from a class thing because it's not like we were coming from an elite perspective either. Like we were all working to maybe middle class like a group of kids, right? It's not like we were a bunch of kids living in like three-story mansions on the other side of town who happened to go to the school or anything like that. But there was definitely a class component to it. We always said that like we called those people white trash because it seemed like a mentality. But I think that was just our excuse for using a, a term like that, you know? And there was this kid that came up to me at the lunch table one day and I had never seen this guy in my life. Right. I wasn't as, uh, as vocal about stuff in high school. Like I hung around people who were, when they got involved in shit, I was maybe around, but I usually didn't say much. Right. Cause I was the kind of guy who, if it ever came down to it, like I would be active, but I wasn't the type to start shit. And this guy came up to me when I was with a couple of different friends at lunch and he was like, so, uh, so how's it going? And I was like, Oh, not too bad, man. Who, who the fuck are you? You know? And, uh, he's like, so yeah, I heard, uh, I heard a friend from a friend of mine, you know, that you were, you were talking some shit. And I was like, I'm sorry, dude, but I don't, I don't even know who you are. And, uh, to this day, I probably couldn't tell you his name. I remember what he looked like, uh, kind of a bigger set guy. He had like this weird five o'clock, like neck beard shadow thing going on. And uh, he's like, yeah, dude, you, uh, you called me white trash. And I think, I think when my girlfriend, my girlfriend at the time was near me with a couple of her friends, I was sitting with people I really didn't know. And it was just kind of awkward. I was like, dude, I, I, I honestly don't know who you are. I don't know what you're talking about. Like I'm with some people I don't really know very well. I'm with my girlfriend. Like you're making this kind of an awkward thing, dude. Like, can we move on? And he's like, no, dude, like you called me white trash. And I, I was kind of getting a little bit exasperated because like my girlfriend at the time was in Kappa, the creative arts program and hung out with like a lot of the academy kids, you know, like the Richie. These are the Richie Rich types. Like I might have been dating one of those people, but I, I wasn't really from that group. Right. So this is getting kind of awkward for me. And the guy keeps on pushing. He's like, yeah, man, you call me white trash. That's really fucked up. And I was like, dude, I don't know you. But looking at you right now, you are fucking white trash and you need to get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> and we end up going to the hallway outside the cafeteria and he's talking more shit. And it came to something where I embarrassed him in front of a group of other people and he ended up walking away. The next day, he came up trying to start some shit. Oh, no, no, before, before the next day he starts some shit, I got called into the principal's office, right? And we had a system where you had a vice principal. You had two vice principals and the principal. And every, you had A through L was for one vice principal. M through whatever was for the other, you know, M through Z was for the other vice principal. My vice principal wasn't there that day. His name was Mr. Rogers, funny enough. <laughs> he was actually a pretty cool dude. He was actually like a former, like, uh, basketball player he had played like overseas and shit like that he was like six six uh he was kind of a cool dude i like talking basketball with him uh but the vice principal i had to go to was this asshole named mr lyford and a buddy of mine had had him as a math teacher and they really didn't get along so i think he knew about me a little bit beforehand and so he called me in and i was like okay what, i don't i had no idea what it was even about right because like 
this incident had happened, but like, I kind of put it out of my mind and he's like, yeah. So I heard, I think this guy's name was Jerry or some shit like that. Right. He's like, I heard about Jerry that, that, you know, you would call him a racial slur. And I started laughing and I was like, I, what? And he was like, yeah, you, you call them white trash. And I was like, but dude, I'm white. <laughs> yeah. And not quite understanding, you know, the, the class component. He was looking at it from this purely racial component. And I was like, dude, like, it's kind of not how race works, right? Like, I wasn't calling him white trash because of him being white. I was calling him trash, you know? Yeah. And obviously that wasn't great either. But it was just one of those situations where I was like kind of taken aback. And I was like, you know, first of all, I didn't call him that until he basically made me call him that. But I kind of think it's bullshit that this is the kind of thing I would get suspended for. I think I ended up getting like ISS or some bullshit like that. Like the next day, the guy tried to come and fight me and it ended up being like this weird little thing where like he threw a punch at me. I stepped out of the way because one of my buddies pulled me and then I went to go swing and almost hit a hall aid. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was a big stupid thing. But I had this big perceived notion of like, man, like I'm white. What the fuck do they mean? I called this guy white trash and like what the vice principal should have came at me with was the class argument. Right. And that's the kind of perspective that I came at from this and like cracker. Yeah. It has initially a class aspect to it. I wouldn't say that the average person using it thinks of it in a class aspect. You know, they think of it in as a like white dorky kind of aspect, like that cracker ass motherfucker. Yeah. Like, to me, it has a different connotation than it used to historically, where I think white trash has kind of had a similar connotation throughout history. It's been a class thing from the beginning. And so I don't see why somebody got suspended for saying cracker. Like, it seems pretty hypocritical. It seems more of like the right just getting on, the, like hijacking this, this grievancy kind of culture, right? The right yeah. is always interested in, in being the ones who are, who are on attacking the left for being politically correct and always saying that, you know, they're willing to censor people and and stifle freedom of speech. But really they just want to be able to say what they want to say and limit other people from even thinking differently. And this is just another example I think of, of somebody either in chat or getting pissy and reporting somebody for saying cracker in Twitter and other, excuse me, Twitch and Twitter and all these other tech companies basically being put in a position where they have to enforce the rules, quote unquote, equally. Right. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. It's like the recently Twitter has this policy where you can't post videos of people who haven't given their permission to be tagged in a video or whatever, essentially. And it sounds like a good idea, right? Like you don't want people posting videos. That sounds like a creepy thing, right? Of like you without your permission. But in a lot of cases, what this tends to be are anti-fascist or other people who do like right wing watch kind of stuff who are posting stuff about the Proud Boys or posting stuff about neo-Nazis. And yeah, you want to put video up with these motherfuckers and are you going to go ask permission? Exactly. Like, like, hey, Nazi dude, are you okay if I post your real image and likeness on the internet? Can you sign this for me? Like, I don't know. Like, basically what it became is it gave the far right permission to start reporting all these like left-wing Twitter accounts that ended up getting suspended. And it's just, it's another, another example of like these tech companies, like tech companies are not your friend either, you know? And no, without a doubt, but it, just but because they suspend though, Donald Trump doesn't mean that like they're going to be on the side of like, if anything, they're going to look to punish the left to make themselves seem like they're in the middle. 
Well, you know, the funny thing is, right, I had, I had quote tweeted um, Hassan, uh, a point that he made, and I had just brought out the fact that, you know, Twitch is very hypocritical, as well as the people um, who align themselves on the right about this whole idea about being for freedom of speech, uh, freedom of expression, and all this other shit, but then they go in, like, simultaneously mass report. And this guy quote tweeted me with a video of Hitler saying Twitch is on our side. And I just thought, one, you're a fucking creep and a loser. So, like, go fuck off, you pasty, neckbearded cracker. And two, I just thought it was really telling because you hear from so many people on the right about how big tech and how social media is SJW and how how leftist they are, but it always seems that they line up on the side of fascists, right? And that's and I'm glad that you brought up the Antifa thing because I think that's another argument where people always get this misconstrued idea, whether it be Antifa or BLM, where they get so caught up into believing that it's an organizational movement as opposed to just a social movement itself. And there's a very distinct difference between those two, right? Like Antifa is not some LLC. It's not an organization. It is a belief. It is a movement of itself, just like Black Lives Matter, right? Like everybody who goes to marches or protests and chants Black Lives Matter isn't part of an organization, Black Lives Matter. It's just that is part of the movement they believe in. And unfortunately, because of the disingenuous nature of people on the right, you never really understand that argument or you never hear it. No, and, and it's just, again, you're not going to find allies, you know, in big tech. And really, they're just, they're on the side of money. And as long as they can appear to be above the politics in order to keep on making money, I mean, I was listening to a podcast on that QAnon Anonymous show recently about Peter Thiel and his connections to Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. And really, Facebook made a deal with the right wing right before the election and right after uh, Trump got elected, basically saying like, hey, you know, we're not going to you don't have to worry about us for censorship. Um, you can still you can still see the right wing making the talking point that they get censored all the time, but like well, the most successful it, Facebook pages are from the right wing, and and it's built yeah, it, it's built that way. Like that's not a, that's them, not the bug. That's the most clicks, and it gets them the most ad revenue. Exactly, it brings the most attention, even if they don't agree with them. It brings the most attention. It brings them the most interaction. It brings them the most engagement. They've done studies with like random like if you just were to start a YouTube page like or a YouTube channel, excuse me, and just start surfing, you know, like checking out what's available. The algorithm takes you down to the right wing without you even trying. That's just how the algorithm is because it's fed on getting clicks, getting interaction, getting people to react. And and so that's what side they're on. It's not about politics. It's about money. All liberal lies created and funded by George Soros. No, no, but like (laughs) that becomes the the talking point, right? Is that like uh, tech is, is in on the conspiracy against the, the first amendment and you, you see conservatives starting their own stuff, whether it's like uh, telegram or rumble or like all these other versions of like um, Dude, social media companies. Right. Is it just me or has like Peter Thiel become like the right version of George Soros? Like just the guy who's behind funding a lot of this like crazy ass shit that's going on. 
Well, and you always had people like the Koch brothers, right? Like the Koch brothers foundation, but they were much more involved in just straight up like libertarian kind of stuff. Like they were even more reasonable on immigration than most of the uh, Republican party would have been. Peter Thiel has been quoted as saying he doesn't really believe democracy is going to work anymore. Um, Peter Thiel is a, a fascist and uh, his, his motives are, are, I mean, Soros wants to just keep on making money. Like, I think Soros gets the conspiracy theory tag because it's kind of easy. Yeah, but, well, um, there's a lot of the anti-Semitism that's tied well, into that. that I was well. going to say, because, because of the anti-Semitism stuff, like, it's a different beast. But, like, Peter Thiel um, has a very dangerous ideology beyond just, like, libertarianism. And he's basically, um, he's basically the bad guy if you were making, like, a real-life version of um, Bioshock. Yeah, that, no, that's actually perfect. And it, it's pretty scary. And well, and he's the one who helped start um, the career along of the guy who just got named Time Magazine's Person of the Year, right? Jesus, our, yeah. Our soon-to-be, our soon-to-be Emperor Elon Musk. Yeah, that fucking piece of shit. I, for one, will welcome the nerd well, uh, Emperor. Dude, I'm going to fucking punch him in the face for having that shitty ass fifth element villain haircut, dude. <laughs> like that dude's fucking that recent picture of him with that haircut is just absolutely terrible. Yeah, well, especially if and I'm a guy who's losing his hair, so I get to say this right. Um, it's obvious that the scars on his head in the different places are from um, hair replacement surgery and putting the plugs onto at the top of his head. So if you're going to get that haircut, you probably should realize that that's going to show everybody all those huge fucking scars. Hair plugs. But And I'm not hating. Trust me. As a guy losing his hair, if I could afford it, I'd have that shit done too. But then I wouldn't have a dumbass haircut that let everybody (laughs) know that that's what happened. Yeah. I guess that's just that fucking money coming into... Yeah, he doesn't fucking care. Yeah. He just well, made another billion while we recorded this. Well, dude, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to get into. That's kind of all I had to bring up for today. No, I'm kind of out of steam myself. Yeah, no worries. Um, for everybody still listening, we appreciate you. Um, next week, as we had mentioned earlier, we're going to be doing our Christmas episode. Uh, we're going to be featuring segments from you guys, whether it's an audio clip you send in, um, I've already gotten one or two people who have sent me some written stuff about just some of their favorite things about the holidays, favorite gifts, etc. So make sure you guys get that into us before the 22nd. Um, yeah, and even, oh, yeah, go that's ahead. a good that's a good time frame. That way you get a couple of days to get everything together. And we're, we'll be recording on the night of the 23rd, correct? That'll be a week from today. Yes, um, correct. So that's when we'll be recording. Um but also, like, even if you don't have a, a memory of a holiday thing specifically, just even a movie that you would watch this time of year, like, the fun that you would have not being in school. Like, winter break was my favorite time of year because you weren't at fucking school. Yeah. Um, like, I want to I have a list maybe of, like, you know, favorite Christmas media, like, whether it's a song, a show, a movie, like, talk about that. Like, I know Hirsch uh, has some other ideas, too, so anything that you think will add to it doesn't have to even be Christmas related. Just even just, Hey, me and my buddy used to play this video game when we were on Christmas break, like that kind of shit, you know? 
Hell yeah. No, that's, man, Christmas break was such a beautiful thing, wasn't it? Because to me, like, it involved, like, college football bowl games, like, playing darts in the basement because you had nothing else to do because it was, like, 10 o'clock on a Wednesday. Yeah. Shit like that. The good old days. Sure do miss it. But yeah, I think that's uh but yeah, next week is I think we'll have a, a rich and full episode for everybody to have during their commute or maybe while you're just hanging out with family and bored for a little while. Hell yeah. On behalf of Stu and myself, thank you all for listening. Looking forward to the Christmas episode coming up. Gonna be having a lot of fun with it. Um, you know, and and, and surprisingly I am finding myself in the Christmas spirit. I didn't think I was going to be too much in the Christmas spirit, just with everything that's going on, being so far away from both you, Steve, and and uh, Lil Safari, um, and the rest of the family. Uh, yeah, it's it's just something that I'm finding myself in the Christmas spirit, so I'm definitely pumped for it. And just to warn everybody, we I will be talking a lot about It's a Wonderful Life, and so if you want to have any idea what the fuck we're talking about, Watch that movie. It is a wonderful Christmas movie. It is a wonderful movie. Don't think of it as just the ending that gets parodied over and over again or just the story of somebody who is not is looking at what their life would be like without them. Like it's a much more complicated movie about having dreams, about what you want to do with your life, having to compromise on those dreams, and maybe finding out that what you had was really worth it after all. Yeah, no, I I was actually plugging that movie today on stream. So <laughs> hopefully we'll have an army of people who listen or, or watch it rather when uh, when we get to the day. And Muppet Christmas Carol. That shit's awesome. <laughs> For sure. All right, everybody, take care. Don't forget to wash your hands and wipe your butt. Peace. <laughs>